Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChampaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. The Spurs show is backed for the season by Ladbrooks. Hello, good evening, welcome to a very special edition of the Spurs Show. This is being recorded at a uh, Spurs Show season ticket holder event, live from Great Portland Street. Hey! Oh, much louder, so a few more drinks. Louder than 40 minutes ago. Yeah. There we Shut, are. The shyness is gone. The shyness is gone. That's the dulcet tones of Sean Singleton. Hello, Mike. Hello, Mickey. And, uh, well, the man, a very, well, throw my pen in the way. A uh, very special guest. We're going to be looking back at his, his wonderful career at Tottenham. Please welcome Mr. Mickey Hazard. Mickey, we're going to start literally at the very beginning. There can't be many Spurs players ever who... I've had to travel the distances that you travelled to play for our beloved club because you were spotted by the club in, presumably, the Sunderland region when you were about 13, 14? Much earlier, 11. Was it really really that early? 11. In in those days, you couldn't... It's not like today where you can sign at 8, 9. In those days, you had to wait till you're 14 and you you couldn't sign for anyone uh, within an hour up until the age of 14. But once you'd got to 14, you could sign outside of an hour's journey. Uh, but the Wilf Dixon, who was the then assistant manager okay. under Terry Neil, right. was born and bred in Sunderland. So he set up a little scouting network in right. Sunderland and, and a particular guy called Ken Pediston. And um, Ken used to come and watch me, a bit embarrassing really, he watched me every school game, every town game, every county game, every single game I ever played in for three years till I was 14. Wow. He befriended my dad. He came round my house for Sunday dinner. We went round his house for Sunday dinner. 
Um, it was incredible. Like it was like he was afraid of losing me. He wouldn't let anyone else talk to my dad on nothing. <laughs> Honestly, it was incredible. Uh, and that's sort of a, because they became so great friends with my family. It was when it came to the age of fourteen, and obviously I had uh, quite a few clubs. You know, Inter Milan, Barcelona, Real Madrid. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> Still no, I, had, I had all these, quite a lot of clubs, English clubs chasing me. And, um, but obviously my dad's loyalty, he said, if any guy can put that amount of effort in to get you, it means he wants you. And um, when it came to the decision, absolutely nobody else even close to being in the running. But how did it work with travelling? Because you're 14 and now you've got, to, I mean, how often did you keep travelling down until well, you... Signed properly. Yeah, no, you, you came down and every school holiday. Right. Um, and you came down with your, your dad. And um, the first time I came down at the age of 14, when I came down to sign schoolboy forms, because I, I could then, um, we came down and, and we came through the big gates at uh, Bill Nick Way and, and we walk into um, the offices and we get called into Bill Nicholson's um, room. Now, picture the scene. I'm a 14-year-old kid. I'm here with my dad, who gives me confidence because he's my dad. And you've got Bill Nicholson sitting on a stage like this, and me and my dad are sitting down there, <laughs> <laughs> looking, looking up at Bill like that. You know, incredible. And, 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 and I've only ever seen this guy on TV. I, you know, I don't, and I'm, like, so nervous it was untrue. I'm sitting there. And he turned to me. He said, son. I said, yes, sir. I'm going to give you some homework to do. He said, uh, I forgot the word he used, actually. He said, um, what was the word? Oh. Uh, engage, disengage. He said, I want you to go home, find out, get a dictionary, find out what they mean, and then put them into a footballing context. That's your homework. So I, I didn't bother to go home. I didn't get the dictionary out. So most of my life I got engaged and then I got divorced and then I got <laughs> engaged. Cost me a bloody fortune. Um, but anyway, turns out what he meant was, and this was the genius of the guy, and I was, I was really scared of Bill. Honestly, I held him in such high esteem. Every time I saw him in the car park, I would hide so I didn't have to talk to him because I hated feeling nervous. And um, he, he, what he meant was engage. When the opponents have got the ball... Engage on your opponent. Work at him. Make him make him pass the ball. Make him go backwards. Can you nick the ball? Can you win the ball? And when you haven't got the ball, when your team's got the ball, disengage. Disengage from your opponent. Find space. Drift into space. Create space for others. I thought it was actually an incredible pair of words to use. Uh, and for me, sums up just how why Bill Nicholson was our greatest ever manager. An absolute genius. But God, he was scary. He frightened me to death. I remember walking out of the kit room and all that. If I came out of the kit room after just cleaning the boots and I saw Bill, I promise you I'd run back in and I'd start cleaning boots. <laughs> I hated cleaning boots. But I'd clean them just to avoid having to talk to Bill because every time I, I stood there, I was like, yeah, 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 you know? And then later in life, as I got older and wiser, I got even more afraid. <laughs> <laughs> so this must have been... So what, 73? Around uh, that kind no, of 73, 74? 76. 76 when I came... That was 74 when I came yeah, down. Yeah, because obviously yeah. he left in 70... Well, yeah, I se- left, left, but... 74, I came down as a schoolboy. Yeah. And then in, in 76, I signed... Right. Uh, in those days, I think it was called an apprenticeship or, or right. YTS, one of the two, I can't remember. But you... So when, when you then signed that and you came down, I mean, obviously, 
you, you do get homesick. You sort of yeah, <laughs> you disappeared a few times. Listen, I, I have no, um, I have no shame when I say I was a proper mummy's boy. I was a right little terror. But when it came to my mum, I just loved nothing better than lying on the couch with my head on her lap um, and cuddling into her. I was a pro- and, and every guy, no doubt, should feel the same about their mum because we only have one. Um, so it was wonderful. So you can imagine I'd never, ever in my whole lifetime been away from my mum or my dad or my brothers. Or my, I have four sisters and two brothers and, and I've never been away from them. And then suddenly I'm going down full time to, to Spurs to this big place called London. It was the most, to arrive the first time at Seven Sisters without my dad um, was the shock of shocks. Um, to have nobody meeting me at Seven Sisters to pick me up told me, oh, maybe they don't think that much of me. Um, and having to catch a bus um, and they're telling you to get the 259 or the 279 or the, blimey, there was that many buses, I didn't know which one to get. Um, anyway, I ended up at White Hartley and at 16, and I got put into an absolute lovely family at the back of the North Middlesex Avenue, uh, Hospital in Branksome Avenue. Um, absolute Irish family, absolute lovely. Three boys, one of them the same age as me. Got really, really close with them. Um, but quickly decided that, no, this is not for me. I, I, you know, I'm not got, it's a bit embarrassing when you put your head on the landlady's lap. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I um, waited well, what, till... Well, did you disappear then? Did you tell her where well, you going or did you just go? Yeah, no, well, I, I trained for about a week and then I decided, no, this is not for me. I'm, I'm missing my mum. So anyway, went to bed, being the clever Geordie that I was or the clever Macam I was, um, Wait till the lights went out. Wait till I thought everybody was asleep. Climbed out the bedroom window. Climbed down the drain pipe. Ran down to Tottenham High Road. Caught a bus. Um, and got to King's Cross somehow and jumped on a train and went home. Anyway, I did this five, six times. <laughs> that many times? Yeah, yeah, five or six times. And the club were incredible, to be honest with you. They showed so much patience. And then after about the sixth time, um, they rang my mum and dad. And they said, right, OK, listen, we've got to get tough with this kid. We think he's a special talent. We've got to get tough because we're going to say to you now, if he doesn't come back and stay back, um, then we're going to retain his registration and he'll never be able to sign for any other club until he's come back and fulfilled his contract here. So it was a choice of go back or not be a footballer. So, of course, football was my first love and, and I went back and... and um, they agreed a deal. My dad came back with me and we sat in the office and they said, OK, what we will do... Now, remember, I was on 16 quid a week. 16 quid a week. I used to send my mum a fiver every week. I was left for 11 quid. So they said, we'll do a deal with you. We'll send you home every 10th day for the first two years. So we will pay, we will pay your train fare. We will pay your taxi fare to King's Cross. The taxi fare from the station at the other end. We will give you money for your mum to feed and uh, and, and uh, give you drinks while you're at home, and we'll give you expenses as well. So they gave me um, my. They bought my train tickets. They give me money for taxis either end. They gave me money to give to my mum, and they gave me a hundred quid to buy food and everything else. I mean, a hundred quid. I mean, I've never seen a hundred quid in my life. Shows what they thought of you, though, doesn't it? Absolutely. So they did this for two years anyway. After about a year, I settled, didn't I? <laughs> but I'd got used to having all this money. <laughs> so am I going to tell them? Ah, oh, no, no. So anyway, every, every tenth day, so it was 
go home on a Saturday after the youth team game and come back on the Wednesday. So every 10th day, I used to say, see you, Pete Shreve. Shreve was a youth team manager. See you, Shreve. I'm off to Sunderland. And I'd go back to my digs and I wouldn't wander out (laughs) until the Wednesday. I'd pick up all my expenses. Anyway, after about six months of doing this, I'm raking it in, aren't I? I've got so much money in my back pocket. I'm not even having to give my mum and dad their money that the club have given me. I'm raking it in. Honestly, and then I go. uh, So anyway, after about six months of doing it, one of the, the boy, the same age as me in Diggs, he says, come on, come on, let's go out. I said, no, 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 I can't, man, I can't. Cause this was on the Saturday night. He said, let's go to the Kubri Club. I said, no, no, I can't go to the Kubri Club. Come on, I, I was about 17 and a half. He said, come on, let's go, man, come So I said, all right, we'll go. No one, no one will know I'm there. So we go to the Kubri Club. I go to the bar. Who's standing at the bar? Shrevesy. No. <laughs> no. I go call into the office on the Monday. Uh, right bollock and he didn't ask for all the money to be repaid to be fair but I never got any more so it was a big big oh, loss have you ever earned 16 quid a week God. wow dear me who was um, what other players were in that youth set up that uh, also came through the ranks maybe not at Spurs maybe no, other clubs they, they, who did you play listen, with then I played Paul Miller he was same age as me in the same youth team Chris Uton was a year older but he played in the same youth team Gary Brook Mark Falcor same youth team we brought untold amounts of young players through and obviously Glenn had, and Neil McNabb and people like that Stuart Bevan had just come through in the year, couple, of, couple of years earlier so we had an unbelievable youth set up um, that was producing um, top footballers to come through year in year out and that's how I believe every youth set up should run it should, it should be a conveyor belt of producing homegrown talent because homegrown talent gives the clubs its heart and soul. You know, you learn as you come through the system, you learn about the history, the traditions, the style of play, its, its philosophies and its beliefs. You learn all of that and it's instilled in you. And then when you sign big-name players, it's the homegrown players that then pass on this knowledge and information about the mm. club to the big... So you're educating them on how great this club is and what it stands for and then they're educating you on how to become a better player so it works hand in hand and if you go through history you know Manchester United in its recent past 20 years of success it was based on its youth setup mm-hmm. young young players that had come that had gave it give the club its heart and soul and that's what i believe every um, club should be based upon is homegrown talent supplemented by big name signings and uh, but it was the most wonderful wonderful time of my life i've got to say um, you made yeah finally. You made your debut in the first team age 20. 19. 19, sorry, 19. Um, how did you know when you got the nod? Were you kind of thinking, <laughs> did you think you should have got the uh, caught up earlier? Or what was that, the trouble with that team oh, was? That I would have been should have of... been a regular at 16. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but then you always do because you're biased. But no, I, listen, when I got the nod, I'd had it the previous week. We were playing Manchester United. It's funny game football. You know, some things go in your favour. Some things work for you, against you. And, and if they work against you at a certain time, it can wreck a career. If they work for you, it can make a career. And uh, the previous week we were playing Manchester United away, Keith pulled me in on the Thursday. He said, right, Mickey, you, you know, you're playing. Um, I was 19. I ran down Tottenham High Road. I run my mum. I rung my dad. I was like screaming down the phone. I'm playing, I'm playing, I'm playing. Get me tickets, get me tickets. Uh, anyway, on the Friday, we used to train in the gym before we travelled away and I got this big blister on my foot. And instead of going to see the physio, I burst at myself. Turned poison, didn't it? Oh, no. So I missed the Man United game, didn't I? I was devastated on the Saturday morning. I've got this foot up like this, poisoned to death, and nothing they can do about it to get me fit to play. They lost 4-0. 
Imagine if they'd won 4 0. I wouldn't have made my debut the following week, and maybe they'd have gone on a run of 30 games and I might have got released. So um, they lost 4 0, and obviously the fact that they lost, I was going to be playing, meant the following week I was going to play. So I got rid of this poison foot, and the following week we played Everton at home. So you, you're playing Everton at home, right? What player did you, dis- did you take the place of in the team? Do you John Pratt. All right. John Pratt. Uh, I've got to say, what a gentleman. Um, you know, before the game, he came up to me. Mickey, good luck. Go out and show the fans how talented you are. Which obviously have seen your professionals. Oh, it was amazing, honestly, yeah. because I'd have been calling him every name on the sun. <laughs> uh, so, so, so anyway, I walks into the dressing room. Keith does his team talk. He names the team. And I've got my shirt. I can't remember what number it was, but I'm getting changed. I'm, putting, I'm, I'm a bit embarrassed because I'm with the first team. And in those days, you weren't allowed in the first team dressing room uh-huh. until you became a first team squad member. So right. I'd never been in the first team dressing room because I'd changed res- with the reserves in the away dressing room. And so I'm, I'm coming into the uh, dressing room. I'm getting my kit on and I'm, I'm sort of quite sheepish. And I look to the right. Shit, Sosio dealers. <laughs> and I look to the left. Oh, shit, it's Glen Oddle. What the fuck do they need me for? <laughs> you know, you're sitting getting changed between Glen Oddle and Sosio dealers. They don't need a Mickey Hazard. Trust me. Um, but anyway, we went out. Um, and I remember standing between, and Ozzy was one of my closest friends, even at 18, he sort of somehow, 19, 20, somehow he took me under his wing and we became like that and still are to this day. And um, anyway, we go out and we play. I've got to say that I got voted man of the match, um, which was incredible when you're on the same pitch yeah. as Glenn Oddle and Ozzy Adelis. But what I would like to say is a 19-year-old, if you get voted the man of the match when you're on the same pitch as these two, it's a fucking lie. Trust me. Um, <laughs> But what happens is you, you're homegrown, you've got this big mop of curly hair, so you stand out anyway, and, and, and everything you do is cheering. I, I happen to make a goal as well, um, and I got voted man of the match, but trust me, I was not man of the match. Um, I played probably as a seven and a half, maybe an eight, but then, you know, we won 3 0. Uh, Glenn Odell and Aussie Ardealers were probably nine and a half, so a ten. So I got it, but I, it wasn't warranted. That season was 79 80. It was weird because, obviously, the season before Ozzy and Ricky had arrived, and you sort of thought the second season we'd, we'd do better. But actually, that season, we finished low in the league than their debut season, bizarrely. Although we got, we got to the quarters in the FA Cup. Yeah, Terry McDermott, Liverpool. You know, that one, one nil. Ozzy made the error, passed it to McDermott, and he went flying in. I'll never forget that goal. Um, what do you think... That team then, you just mentioned you've got Hoddle, you've, you know, you've, you've, you've got others. What do you think that, that particular Tottenham first team was lacking then well, at, I think that, that, at that stage? I, I think that sometimes in football, um, we talk about a manager building a team, but sometimes you can stumble across a team. You know, you know Chrissy Uton, for instance, was about fifth choice left back. Um, we had so many left backs that were way ahead of him. Christy was in the youth team manager, in the youth team with me. Honestly, you would never believed he could be a footballer. He was a, a lift engineer, and you thought that's exactly where his future was going to be. <laughs> um, and he was such an average footballer, it was untrue. Um, but, but like so many young players, is that. And it certainly it should be a lesson for managers is that until you've seen a young player play with um, the first team top players, it's, it's hard to judge them fairly because sometimes 
if you're a good player, you need good players to play with. If you're playing in the youth team and the reserves, you're not necessarily playing with 11 good players. And Chrissy was the only one left this day to get picked, and he got picked, and he played every single game for the next 12 years. Unbelievable footballer, you know. So it should be a lesson. But what did it lack, that team? Um, well, it lacked quite a lot, to be honest with you. <laughs> I mean, um, I'll tell you a little story about when they lost 7-0 at um, oh. Liverpool. Um, thankfully, I wasn't involved, but um, uh, on the uh, Monday uh, or the Tuesday, one of the days, I can't remember which day, he, uh, Keith pulled Ozzy, Glenn and Ricky following the 7-0 defeat. And he said, look, guys, he said, when we got the ball, brilliant, but when we ain't got the ball, it's rubbish. He said, so I'm going to have to drop one of yours to bring John Pratt in. So he said, okay, he said, Glenn, how are you, because he didn't want to make the decision. Glenn, how are you feeling today? Oh, I'm feeling amazing, boss. I'm ready. I'm going to score today. I'm going to make up for last week. I'm going to run the game and I'm going to be different class. Okay, Ozzy, how are you feeling? Oh, boss, I apologise for last week. Today, I want to do my best. I want to make up for it. We're going to be different class today. We're going to win, boss. Now, Ricky, who didn't speak a word of English, <laughs> Keith says, Ozzy, can you ask Ricky how he felt? So in Spanish, Ozzy says to Ricky, Ricky, how are you feeling today? Keith wants to know. Ricky says, oh, I'm feeling amazing. I'm feeling absolutely unbelievable, boss. I'm ready to go to war. I'm ready to win the game for you. So Keith says, Ozzy, what did he say? He said, boss, he said he's shattered and he needs a rest. <laughs> True story. True story. <laughs> but no, but as I said, you, you know, there's a piecing together of the team and... You know, it's like when you're doing a jigsaw, sometimes you, the, the jigsaw, you fit certain bits of it in quite easily. They fall into place and other bits fall in. Luckily, Chrissy Uton was a lucky bit. Uh, and then obviously Archibald and Crooks was yeah. a well thought that, that out. That was the following, that was the that final was the following piece of, season. Yeah. The last piece of the jigsaw. Because we had, um, well, it was still Chris Jones, Jerry Armstrong, Colin Lee, Ian Moores, still there. Colin Lee. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. They were so, quite big. They were quite typical old-style centre forward We had the, style, we had the nucleus of a, of a great, great side. And the pleasing thing for me, when I look back on it now, and, and you know, and it's easy to look back um, with hindsight, you know, I look back and I think, well, the great thing that Birkenshaw did, the general, was he, he, he got lucky in certain instances, like Chrissy, but he built from the back. He started to give it a solid foundation. You don't build a house from the roof, you know. So Keith didn't go out and sign centre forwards. He went out and he got he got he found Chris Uton. Luckily, I've turned that off, man. (laughs) (laughs) It's Poch wanting to know what team he should pick for Saturday. (laughs) So anyway, so he he, he, um, you know Stevie P, who was for me captain of captains he had a foresight that I've never seen any footballer have an ability to be able to change a game during a game when it's going wrong an ability to know everyone's strengths and weaknesses and, and what made them tick and not tick and, and he was amazing so he had that and then he found he signed Robbo uh, from non-league 30,000 way, way way too much but he, he signed Robbo and then he found Galvin which suddenly became part of the jigsaw puzzle you know with Glenn being able to hit these unbelievable 40-50 yard passes that just spun into Tony's runs you know and suddenly the jigsaw was really coming together and then he had to have the the knowledge and the know-how to find the final pieces to make it fit um, and then Archibald and Crooks and, and, and young Mark Falkwell was coming through suddenly we had three forwards all capable of getting 20 goals a season at the top pieced it together and, and, and you know and it was luck 
Because Crooks and Archibald, what, from memory, they weren't that well known. Crooks was at no. Stoke. We yeah. weren't. Archibald was at Aberdeen. A great team. Archibald yeah, was obviously mean, Aberdeen, so most English fans. I've never, never, never heard of Steve Archibald. I don't remember when we... Can you remember? We got them. I didn't know who Archibald was, yeah, to no. be quite honest. No, did I. But, but obviously the scouting got it right because... What a player, They, by they the made such a difference to straight, that side. Straight away as well, it felt like. Immediately, that, I was... Yeah. Um, I, remember, I remember going to um, Sowers Park. We win f- no, it was a draw. 4-3. Vince Hilaire scored for them, like one of the really early, it was like, brilliant, it was like, well, after, after, bless them, Armstrong and Jones and whatever and Moore. That, 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 that was the thing that it, that was the thing that it gave, I mean, it gave, you know, you have these wonderful footballers throughout your team and wonderful creative footballers who were capable of opening up the tightest of defences and suddenly they had a belief that... Um, you had two forwards who could, three forwards were Mark, who could put the ball in the back of the net. So all the great work that you did in the build-up that led up to the chances, suddenly they were going into the back of the net and it transformed the team from being sort of also runs or, or threatening to be good but not good. Those two signings transformed that team into being, for me, a team that underachieved. Um, I would say, I talk with Ozzy a lot, and Ozzy says to me, the 1981-82 season, um, when we we should have won all four, um, he said, is the best football team he's ever played in. Now, that's a, t- a guy that's won the World Cup, yeah, saying 81-82, and, and it, it, the building had started... You know, winning that. You know, people talk about today's team and compare. You cannot compare today's team to the '80s team because the '80s won trophies. This team is a great team, and I'm telling you, one day they could become the greatest in our history. But at the moment, till they get over that line, and and trust me, I've been there and I know. Once you get over that line, you prove to yourself and to everyone else in your team that you've got what it takes to get over the line. And once you get over it, it gives you the confidence and belief that you can do it again and again and again. Uh, And that was the sad thing about the 80s team, was that Irving sadly got rid of Keith in 84 uh, or forced him to resign. And it was the breaking up of what was, for me, the best footballing team I've ever played in and also the best youth setup that I'd ever seen in any form of football, maybe with the exception of Manchester United. So it was sad that uh, success actually brought about the downfall of an absolutely brilliant, brilliant football team. That's Mimi, a- can I just ask a quick question, Mickey? You talk about um, how amazing it was to, to play with Ozzy and uh, Glenn. What did you, obviously you were a great player at every level you played. And then uh, what did you learn from those two? Um, I learned that <laughs> both of them copied me non-stop <laughs> no uh, what I learned off the two of them was that you know the two of the greatest footballers that Spurs have ever had by the way two totally different footballers I know that they both played with flair and creativity and, and, and we would all sort of stand and say well they're two two great creative players but they were incredibly different yeah. Glenn Glenn was the most naturally gifted footballer I've ever seen in my lifetime and that includes Messi and Maradona I've, you know I've never woke up uh, sorry, I've never seen anyone with so much natural talent in all my life. It was, it was staggering what this guy could do. I mean, we went to when I joined Swindon. He was my manager. He was past it, and he was doing a coaching session defence v attack. 
And he was organising the defence. You slide over there, you drop there, you come. He was stood on the off-wheel line, I was stood behind him. And the goalkeepers were on the next pitch working their kickouts. And one of them sliced it, miles into the end, was coming down on Glenn's head. <laughs> and he was organising, someone shouted, watch out, Gaffer. And he looked up like that, last second, and he jumped both feet off the floor, threw his left foot over the top of the ball, right, and then landed on the floor at the same time as the ball with the toe of his right foot just going... On the ball. Now, you know when you trap a ball, it goes... Well, not mine, but yours. <laughs> and, and Glenn's just went... Boom. And he stood there with his left foot planted on the floor and his toe on the, on the top of the ball and he carried on coaching the defence. It was like... Wow. Breathtaking skill. And what, what you don't realise is... And this is how good it was. The day before, I'd spent all morning teaching him how to do it. <laughs> <laughs> no, honestly, it was breathtaking skill. It was one of, the, one of the greatest pieces of individual skill I've ever witnessed in my lifetime. Everyone at Swindon, who obviously were Div 1 at the time, just went, they just open-mouthed. It was incredible. But it didn't surprise me. Ozzy had the best football brain I've ever seen, mm. ever. He, he just knew... Controlled where, the game. Basically. Controlled the game, but yeah. more importantly, people underestimate how good he was without the ball. Yeah. Without the ball, he just knew where to position himself to intercept or to nick the next ball. He never made a tackle in his life. N never made a tackle. You, will, you watch any video of Ozzy, he will always be coming away with the ball. Having come, some, he'll have his head on the floor, he'll come round from behind and just nick it and run away with it. His brain was so far ahead, he was incredible. So two of the best footballers I've ever seen, certainly the two best that I've ever played with. The... Um Going back to the 80-81 FA Cup winning season, you only, uh, that particular season, you only played like the last sort of nine games. Why was that? Did you, what, why, why at that stage weren't you getting in the side? I had a cartilage operation. Right. Um, I, um, just before Christmas, obviously, listen, uh, why are you not getting in the side? Glenn Odell, Ozzie dealers, Ricky Velia, two World Cup winners, all playing in the same position as me. Um, I was young, so I'm, I'm, I'm always the easy option to, to not pick. Um, and then I had the cartilage operation, which killed me a bit. Um, and then towards the end of the season, I started getting the side, but it was more, it wasn't to do with the fact that he'd suddenly started to prefer me over Glenn or Ozzy or Ricky. It was more to do with the fact that he wanted them resting for the FA Cup final. And, and I think I played the game before the FA Cup final, right. away to West Brom, I think it was. And um, obviously filled me with false illusions that I was, <laughs> going, I was going to be playing in the FA Cup yeah. final, and sadly I didn't. You were there in the suit. I've seen the. I was there in the suit. And, it came yeah. out on the pitch. I was in the yeah. squad. I didn't make. The, in those days, it was only one on the bench. That's so, right, yeah. what were your feelings? Were it mixed, mixed emotions. Um, no, 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 no. Listen, I play for Tottenham Hotspur Football Club, and and if you if you whether you're playing or whether you're not playing, you have to want your club to do the best it can do, and and. Obviously, when we were in the final, it was when Ricky scored that goal, it was just absolute and sheer emotion. What I do remember about the celebrations afterwards was when we went back to White Hart Lane, where the clock was, was where one of the officers was. And I remember us all going up there and opening the window and the eye road was so filled with fans, it was untrue. And I was standing with Ozzy and I turned to Ozzy. I said, Ozzy, I said, next year, mate, I'm going to be back to win this with you, you know? Not believing or knowing for a second that I was, but next year I was. Well, well, let's we're gonna let we're gonna talk about that next season when uh, Berkshire finally really accommodated you and Glenn. 
and we'll discuss that after this very short break. The Spurs show is backed for the season by Ladbrokes. And we're back from the break. There we are. Um, we were just, uh, before the break, uh, obviously talking about the 8081 uh, season. You had this operation and, and started playing at the end of the season. The following season, the 81-82, uh, Birkenshaw started playing you with Hoddle alongside each other. What was, what was said? What was, was there a eureka moment? What was done in training to sort of go two similar, you know, creative, skillful players to go, right, we're going to put this now in sort of centre mid and how well, did that come about? It's, 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 again, as I said to you, sometimes a decision, a, a mistake can make or break a career. Um, and I remember early, early that season, Keith had offered me a two-year contract and I went to see him and I said, look, Keith, I said, I want to be in the first team. I said, so just give me one year. I said, give me one year. I said, but within that one year, I said, all I ask is that when an opportunity arises, you stick me in there. I said, I don't care who with, just put me in the side and let me prove my worth. I said, is it a deal? And, and he said, yeah. And the minute I, he said, yeah, I had to sign a one-year contract. I was shaking then. <laughs> Suddenly the pressure was on. Um, so I, I thought, well, I wish I'd signed two years now. <laughs> you know, so I, I had no choice um, but to succeed. And, and it was interesting because I think it was the September we've got West Ham at home. And Keith calls me and he says, right, you wanted your chance, here's your chance. We lose 4-0. And I have an absolute stinker. Yeah. Can you remember that one? I think, I think David Cross David got Scott, four, four goals. goals. It was a midweek yeah. game. And I had an absolute yeah. stinker. And I, I remember after the game being so low, God, that shit, I've blew my chance. Yeah. I'm, he's not going to give me... And, but Keith, being the honest, genuine man he is, the next chance arose. Um, but this time I was ready. Um, we played Knott's Forest at White Hart Lane. Keith calls me and you're playing and it's easy when you're a young kid breaking through and, and you've got Glenn and Ozzy there to sit back and take a back seat it's easy because you know the great players you know they're going to do great things and, and, and you're going to be part of it but I remember from the kickoff saying to Ozzy and Glenn look let me get this one uh, and I got it from the kickoff and I ran straight at the defence and I beat a couple of men and passed it and suddenly I was on I'm up there now Right, you're going to take some stop. And anyway, I made the first goal, um, beat three players moving through the centre of the park, picked Glenn Oddle out at the far post, he volleyed it back across to Falco, who volleyed it, unbelievable goal. One of the goal, best goals I've ever seen. Um, the, pass, the pass from Glenn Oddle was, the pass from me was good, but, uh, but I wouldn't have believed that it could be surpassed. But Glenn's was like, wow. I mean, it was just on the volley. I've hit a 40-yard pass in behind the defence and he's just cushion volleyed it back across the goal into Mark Falco coming in volley what a goal and then I score a wonder goal myself Glenn picked me out on a run I chest it down volleyed into the top corner and and from there and sort of never looked back we then went to Sunderland a couple of games later I scored and made one at Sunderland in a 2-0 win that must have been good for you with your background there yeah yeah it was it was um you know, having been born and bred in Sunderland and to suddenly go back and play at Roker Park and you've got your mum, your dad, your brothers, your sisters, your aunts, your uncles. Were they, were they all Mackhams as well? They? Yeah, all Mackhams yeah. and, um, you know, obviously cheering me on and, and you score. I remember making the first goal with 1-0 up and uh, a pretty similar goal. Like I beat player out wide, a 40-yard pass to Glenn and he volleyed it back in this time to Archibald to score. It was exactly similar to the, the Forest one and, and then uh, late in the game we... 
Um, I get a receiver pass and I jink through and I've got Barry Siddle, the keeper, to beat and now I'm thinking of my mum and dad in the stands celebrating and I jink as if I'm going to hit it and he, he sort of goes down and then I just move it to the side and slide it in and um, running away, scoring a goal, running away. How do you describe scoring a goal? How you feel? I read Steve Archibald on Twitter, two or th- I don't know if any of you saw it, two or three days ago, describing someone had posted a picture of um, the shelf when someone scores and the shelf just erupt into um, ecstasy. He said, that's how I used to feel when I scored a goal. So I messaged him, I said, Stevie, what a great description. How did you think, how did you think of that? I mean, wow, you know. That is how you feel. You know, you've got 30,000 erupting with, in ecstasy because you've scored this goal. Well, when you score a goal, it's like, wow. But to score one at your hometown club where every Sunderland fan knows who you are, knows you're born and bred in Sunderland, to score, I mean, it was like, honestly, it was so, so special. And, and then after the game, I'm um, getting interviewed by Brian Muir or for the... Sunder football or whatever which one would I forget the name and all the Spurs fans had been kept behind so I'm getting interviewed in front of the Spurs fans and they're singing my name and that was probably the first time they'd sang my name but not to that extent and away from it was just wow mind blowing I wish my wish for each and every fan my wish for each and every fan is that you know people talk about footballers and their love for their football clubs I'll tell you something now, right? Yeah, I absolutely worship Spurs. It's been my life for 40 odd years. And, but I don't even come close. I don't come close to loving a club the way you guys do, the way fans do. Fans is an unconditional love. They don't get paid. They don't experience the glory of scoring a goal. They don't get experience walking up the steps at Wembley and picking a trophy or winning the UEFA Cup. They love the club because through thick and thin. And I think a fan's love is the greatest love of all of a football club. An ex-footballer who's been successful at a club, it's easy to love the club because I'm on the inside and I've experienced all those great things. But Mick, it's worth saying what you said at the, at the break. Uh, Chelsea ask you back a lot, don't they? No. Sorry, they do, yeah, they but do. I never go. What do you always say? I say no. Every time. Um, <laughs> every time. Chelsea go, TV, you say no. I, I, I say no for Chelsea TV. I say no to go and work corporate. I say no to go and play for their legends. Um, it's not... Look... If you are, if I said to any of you, would you go and support Chelsea to win a game? You'd say, no, I, I can't. Well, the, Chelsea, the Chelsea fans loved me the way Glen, uh, Spurs fans love Glenoddle. I was worshipped over there, but I have no allegiance with the club whatsoever. You know, I joined Spurs as a 12 year old. I walked through the gates of Tottenham Hotspur Football Club. And Tottenham Hotspur Football Club has my motto. It's or dare for sale to dare us to do. That's not their motto. That's mine. I had that from when I was a kid. Everything I did in my life, I was taking risks. I was never content to just sit back and say, "Okay, you do that." I, you know, I, I, if I had the ball at my feet, I didn't want to pass it to a centre back. I didn't. I, I did sometimes, but I didn't want to. I wanted. I wanted to beat four men and hit a seventy-yard pass onto someone's run to put it in the back of the net, or I wanted to cheat the keeper, chip the keeper from. I wanted to do the great things in the game. I wanted to take a risk. I wanted to. I wanted to excite people. So when you walk through the gates and and, and you don't realise at the time, of course you don't, because you're young and and all you want to do is play football. But when you've walked through later on in life, when you've You've got older and wiser and, and you understand what life is about. To see that I joined a football club, it was like 
I was born to play for. I wasn't born to play for anybody else. And that doesn't mean I didn't play for it. I did, but it just I, I wasn't born to play for Chelsea. They just weren't part of me. They, and they never felt like it was my home. Tottenham Hotspur Football Club has always and will be always my home and my children and my grandchildren now. That, you know, they all follow Tottenham too. Oh, you're the Yidos. You're the Yidos. That um, 82 cup run when you're now in the team, I think apart from the third and fifth round, you sort of played in all the games. What was your memories? I'm finding that you mentioned Chelsea, and then one that hits home for me where I th- probably one of the best games you and Glenn together in such a big game was that game at Stamford Bridge, the quarterfinals. Yeah, no. Um, you know what? What a lot of you don't know was that deal was a complete disaster from the start till the game. We were, before every away game, you get a police uh, escort to the ground, obviously to avoid the traffic jams, etc., etc. So you're there on time. Well, that day, the police had taken us every single traffic jam going. At quarter to three, we are sitting... You know this, Mike, don't you? I know you've got that. We were sitting in Fulham High Road at quarter to three. (laughs) Uh, Fulham Road, not Fulham High Road. We've still got got like 20 minutes to get to the ground in in this traffic jam. So we're like, we're bringing the the kit skips, we're getting them out the boot of the coach, we're trying to get changed on the coach, we're getting the boots. (laughs) And then we, we sprint into the dressing room at five to three. Keith's naming the team on the bus as we're going in. We're getting, we don't have time for, a talk, t- time for a team talk, straight out onto the pitch, no team talk, no nothing. Right? Different boots, <laughs> forgot your jock strap, you forgot the... It was a nightmare, honestly. We had to come come in and then minute before we went out, suddenly we were organising, out we go. And um, everything that could go wrong went wrong. Um, we didn't get the team in, and, in on time, which incurred a heavy fine. Um, and everything went wrong, and we come in, and just before half time, Mickey Freely rifles a, a direct free kick. That's right, we went a goal down, didn't we? Yeah, we went a goal down straight into the top corner. Yeah. And we come in at half time, and we were in shock because it had just been um, complete and utter disaster from start to finish the day. And then, and then I've got to say that we went out second half, and I, I, I don't mind saying this, we played football that was made in heaven. It was like, wow, it was like. To be part of it, and, and particularly as a youngster in my first FA Cup quarter-final, I've dreamt all my life of playing in an FA Cup final. To be in a quarter-final of an FA Cup and, and being part of this football, that I don't think there was any team on this earth could have stopped that 25, 30 minutes of, mm. of the second half. It was just Wow, it was breathtaking football and, and, and synonymous with, with those Spurs, the, the great traditions of... Tottenham Hotspur Football Club. You know, and the, you and Glenn's goals were so similar. You like pinged yes. it into the corner. Yeah, no, They're like identical goals. Was yeah, that your yeah. favourite ever goal that you scored? No, 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 no. I scored a goal at Ivory. That was better than that. <laughs> <laughs> but no, we, we, we um, I, I remember Glenn's, the move for Glenn's goal was, was quite um, such, so much yeah. beauty in, 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 on a football pitch. It was like, the ball just went from zing, zong, zing, zong, zing, zing, and then suddenly it was in the back of their net, and they must have known what the heck hit them. Um, it was like ballet. It was like ballet. Yeah, it was. It was, it was like and ballet, and, and 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 being someone as Glenn and Ozzy are too, someone who just idolises and worships the beautiful game, uh, to see a such a goal of such beauty was um, wow, and be part of it as well, and and play the final pass before Glenn put it in. 
um, was special. And then, and then, of course, my goal, same corner, um, same build-up, same, mm. more or less the mm. same distance, 25 yards. Again, Glenn this time playing the final pass to me as I'd play the final pass to him. And, and it was such, such a magical, magical um, period of football. Um, I'm not sure that I've ever been part of. We've played, I've been in incredible Spurs performances, but I'm not sure I've ever had a 25, 30-minute mm. spell like that. That mm. was, it really was made in heaven. Mm. Um, that, I mean, it, a lot's talked about now and, and the team that you, you, you've, you touched on, about, you know, the players, the youth players coming through. And lots talk about team spirit now under, under Poch. What was the team spirit like then? How, how, how friendly, how together were you as, it, as a team? Look, in, in every dressing room, you love, you, you love your, 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 your best friends and you love your people you don't like, full stop. And team spirit is not allowing your individual preferences to take precedence over the good of the team. Um, but I've got to say that it, if, I need, if I have to find a way of describing how close that group of players was, this is probably the best way that I can describe it, is that Almost every week, almost every week of my life or every couple of weeks, I get to play golf with nine, ten members of that squad. Um, and sometimes we have 16 members of that squad. Now, to get, I don't know if you've ever arranged a game of golf with your mates, it's incredibly difficult to organise. Sometimes you yeah, I'll be there, yeah, and they don't. T- we played at um, the Centurion Club in St Albans, 16 of us, all 16 of that squad, Glenn Oddle, Ozzy, you know, no airs or graces, no matter who you are, you turn up, uh, the winner gets his prize and the loser gets stick and he gets his wooden spoon and his banter and it's almost like a recreation of um, the dressing room in the early 80s and I've got to say it, it leads to some of the most magical moments in my life today to, 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 freak, to, to spend time with my former teammates um, that led me to the glories I dreamt of when I was a little boy, led our club to the glories that we dream of, and that we're certainly dreaming of now. Um, And to spend time with all those guys is absolutely amazing. In fact, I broke my hand recently um, round Aussie Ardealers' house. He had a a barbecue. I'll tell you the story, but it's it's hilarious, honestly. I mean, how brainless am I? He's he's had a barbecue. I've got Graham Roberts, Paul Miller, me and Aussie there, sitting having... Burgers and chips and steak, and it was the best barbecue food I'd ever had, by the way. Salmon, you name it, it was amazing. And Paul Miller's mum was there, who's 83. And Ozzy's grandchildren have this motorised hoverboard. <laughs> so, so, so Paul Miller's mum says, I want to go on that. She's 80 bloody three. Now, it's easy to get on the hoverboard, right? And there's a technique to, you don't, it's easy to balance on there as well, but there's a technique to getting off. So she gets on this overboard and she's driving around on this and she's, I'm thinking, wow, she's amazing. And anyway, when you lean forward, it makes the overboard go. So she stopped and she went to get off. She leaned forward and the hoverboard shot off and it threw her up in the air. She broke all her shoulder and all her arm. We phoned the ambulance. Everyone comes. She's, she's in shock. She's fainted and everything. It was horrendous. It really was. Anyway, she gets took to hospital. Paul goes with us. So now Ozzy's given it like two hours later. Ozzy's had a few more wines. Mickey, 
you've got a brilliant balance. You've got one of the best balances I've ever seen as a player. Unbelievable balance. I bet you could do that overboard. <laughs> so I said, yeah, you're right, Oz. I think I could. <laughs> so I go, I get on this overboard, right? Honestly, I was amazing. I was zooming around this really fast, zooming around the garden. Oh, look at me, Ozzy was gone. I told you, I told you, go on. And then I said, stop. And I went to get off and I leant forward. It shot. Up in the air I went. I broke my hand in two places. <laughs> I'm seeing a specialist when they might need to operate. So um, it'll teach me, it'll teach me because I haven't seen someone do it who's never been on it before. What the heck was I doing? So thanks, Oz. Appreciate you think it. This weekend could have been the, the yeah, first game of Warhol and you wouldn't no, play no, that Bar Munich game. I know, it could be Bar Munich. It. I would have missed it. No, I'd have put a chart on it. I'm not, I'm not missing it. <laughs> Gary Mabbott rang me up. He's managing the... He said, Mick, 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 listen. He said, how long can you play? I said, how long do you want me to play? He said, well, I don't want you to play 90. I said, that's all right. He said, can you play 45? I said, who am I playing against? He said, oh, are you playing against Alonso who's just retired, Real Madrid? But... I said, oh, yeah, God. I'm 45, I'll do that. So I've been training really hard for it. Two weeks, I lost about a stone in weight. I've just had fish and chips upstairs. It's all back on now. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll be back in training before it, because it's still going ahead. That season, the... Uh... We've got some players playing in it, by the way. You nearly tricked me there. <laughs> nice try, nice try. Um, that season, um, as, as well as obviously the FA Cup, you, you scored against the Woolwich Wanderers in a three-one home win, away what, win, away win. That was a away, away, away win. The yeah. hyper game. What was the rivalry like then, as, as a player? You talk, you know, because I know a lot of players from either side got on well. Compared to now, do you think it's got worse over the years or, or better with the fans and, and, and the players? And everything? No, I think it's exactly the same exactly, as it's always yeah. been. I think that, you know, when you come through the system at Spurs as I did, um, the importance of the, even at junior level, youth team level, whatever level you play at, the importance of beating them is everything. Um, so, like I said, when you... Um, uh, have a good youth set up and you bring players through each and every one of you comes through with the philosophies and beliefs and understanding of, of, of Tottenham Hotspur Football Club and what it means to play in their traditions and, and, and also what it means to play in NLD um, so of course when you know, Ozzy Ardiles comes over he has no idea what an NLD is so somewhere he's got to get his education of, of what it means to the club and, and how important it is. And that's where uh, players who've come through the youth set who have been educated along those lines, they can pass that information on to Aussie and in return he can pass on to us how to become a World Cup winner, how to become a better footballer. So it works hand in hand and as I said, it, that's the success of every football club over time for me and, and, and I would recommend to every football club to, to to build your club along those lines that season we were in the uh, Cup Winners Cup uh, run and that was the last time we faced Barcelona who we've got obviously in the Champions League group stages was I mean they were, they were extraordinary games was that the the, the the home one particularly was that the dirtiest game you ever played in I would say it was Possibly the dirtiest game I've ever taken part in in my life. Mm. Um, and from a side of Barcelona's stature, 
quite shocking. In, you know, thankfully the, the 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 players of today won't have to go through anything remotely like that. But they were one. They kicked us off the park from pillar to post. It was strange because in those days, you went, if you got man of the match, you got a nice present after the game. You got uh, and there was. I got man of the match in that Barcelona game at White Hart Lane and I got this beautiful radio cassette. Honestly, it was about, <laughs> it was about this big. It was beautiful, honestly. Can you imagine using that today? They're about that big, you know? But no, it was, they were absolutely the dirtiest team. I think we lost one, two, one over two legs. Yeah. Um, and, and I think, was it, was that the one where Clements made the mistake? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we were a great side and I felt like, Every time we went into Europe, I thought Europe was made for our style of play. You know, English football was a bit up and underish at that time, a bit blood and thunder, and um, we were more finesse and style and, uh, uh, and flair. So playing in Europe where the game was played on the floor, it sort of suited our style. I always felt we would win every year in Europe. I felt we were capable of winning every trophy going in Europe. Mm. I mean, that season we finished, and you, you, you mentioned about you, we're, going, we're going for everything that season. We finished fourth that season, which which was the highest finish we'd had in the league in eleven years. It, it, it should have won all four. Why, why do you think we fell short that season? It wasn't just the amount of games we had. Yeah, in the end. I, I, I honestly believe that it, um, we should have won the league cup final. We were one nil up with a minute to go. Steve Archibald goes round Grobler and misses, and then they go down the other end. And Aussie makes a mistake instead of putting it into Rosette. He tried to play and lost it and uh, they equalised and then in injury time they won 3-1. Mm-hmm. I honestly believe if we'd held on and won 1-0 in that game, I think we might have won all four. Mm-hmm. We, were, we, were, we were in the semi-final against Barcelona, we were in the final against QPR uh, and we were really threatening in the league. And that, having not won that League Cup final to take the pressure right, we've won a trophy, mm-hmm. pressure's off, we can just go and enjoy the rest, get the second, maybe get the third maybe get the fourth but having lost that suddenly fatigue you know we played we played the the maximum games that we could possibly play that season because we played every game in the league we reached the FA Cup final the League Cup final we went out in the semi-final of the Cup Winners Cup so the, and the final was only a one game so we missed one game of the total that we and Steve Perriman played in every single game so I think that uh, fatigue sort of caught up with us in the end and in fact it almost cost us all trophies because we we didn't perform as well as we could against Queens Park Rangers. Yeah, I mean that uh, the following season again we finished fourth, but we didn't have very good cup runs. And the players coming in, I think Mabbott came in now, Alan yeah, Brazil yeah. came in. They yeah. they came in. We went out. You about Europe. We went out to Bayern Munich uh, that yeah. season quite early on. Yeah, we did. Do you yeah. remember of memories? Of yeah, that? I think I think it w- wasn't it in the fog. Was yeah. that the one in the fog? Um, we went out to buy Munich, Rummenigge. Um, yeah, one was it one nil? I can't. I, I think it was was it two nil? Two nil? It doesn't matter. We got revenge the following season. We knocked them out yeah. the year we won it. Yeah. Um, so revenge. But they they were a great side as well. They had Rummenigge, who was the number one centre forward of his era. Um, so they were a great side. There was no disgrace in losing to them. Although we felt we could. I mean, one year we lost to Real Madrid in. Mark Falco got a winning goal in the last minute of the game and wasn't even no one near him. They gives a, the ref gave a free kick. So um, at that stage, it was, refs were being bought right, left and centre, mm. sadly. But in mean, the following season, obviously, we won the UEFA Cup, our first 
Hands trophy up, who, since... Hands up, who was there? Anyone there? I think we were all there, weren't we? <laughs> there were quite a lot of us there. First tro- European trophy since 1972. You, you, you touched on the Bayern Munich game. I think a lot of people might have forgotten the extraordinary run we had. We, we, we beat Feyenoord in the run, Bayern Munich, obviously semi-final against Hadjik Split. We're a very good team. Any memories of those particular games before the final that stick out? Adjuk split, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, I scored the winning. Yeah. I mean, we went over to Adjuk split. I've got to be honest, we came on with a 2 1 defeat. It could have been a 5 0 win. They were a very win. good team, weren't they? They were a very, very good side, but we were we were different class over in in, in uh, Adjuk. And then we got them back to the lane. And um, I, I, you know, sometimes you just, you're blessed. Nobody can write your script, it's just written for you. And. I happened to get the goal that put us in the final, but almost as if somebody up there likes yeah. me, they decided that I, I wore contact lenses when I played. And uh, when, I cel- when I ran away to celebrate the goal, Danny Thomas, Chris Uton jumped on me, and one of them just flicked my eye. My contact lens just flicked out. Um, amazingly, because we were so professional, we didn't even have a spare set. <laughs> <laughs> so I would have been playing with one eye. Um, but amazingly, and, and again, as I said, who writes the scripts? And we, we saw this contact lens <laughs> underneath the floodlight floating through the air like this. So it, all the players are going, whoa, whoa, fans are going, what's going on? Why are they not celebrating? And we're watching this contact lens come down onto the floor and land, right? Now I've bent down, I'm picking it off, and now I'm running off the pitch with this contact lens. And it's live on telly. Nobody's got a clue what's going on. So I'm running off. Down the tunnel. I'm in the dressing room. Now, have you ever scored a winning goal in the UEFA Cup <laughs> semi-final? <laughs> Trust me, it's exciting. Uh, it's exciting and it sends you through emotions that you've probably never lived in your whole lifetime. And I've got this lens on the end of my fan. I'm hitting my forehead, I'm hitting my nose. I cannot get it on my eye. So Shreves, he comes down from the director's box. He comes running into the dressing room. And he puts this lens on his finger. Have you ever had a? Have you ever had anybody stick a finger in your eye? <laughs> I said your eye. <laughs> have you ever had that? Uh, this this lens. And he just went boom. And he pinned my eye open. And he just went boom. Wow. Bloody in. It was like, wow. Can you come around my house every week and do that? Yeah. You know, it was unbelievable. So anyway, now now this is where the script is written. And I think it was in the lap of the gods and it was an incredible moment, you know, because there's moments in your life that you treasure uh, and, and you share with everyone else. Um, and that moment is a moment that it was just solely reserved specially for me because I'd just scored the winning, the goal that had put us into the final of the UEFA Cup. For some reason, I lost the lens and now I'm coming up the tunnel. A picture of the scene, we've got about a 40,000 crowd. And I'm coming up the tunnel. Nobody knows what the heck's happening. And it's live on TV. And I'm now coming up the tunnel and I'm coming into view of the fans. And the fans erupt. One Mickey Hazard. You know, I've got Keith Birkinshaw standing on the side of the pitch shouting, Mickey, come on, get on. And the fans are singing, One Mickey Hazard, like, is an eruption. And I'm saying, Keith, hold on a sec. <laughs> 
<laughs> and the fans are going wild because I'm back in view and I'm standing on the side of the pitch. Keith's going crazy to get me back on because we're playing with 10 men and I just want to milk it for five or 10 minutes, you know. Anyway, eventually I get back on, we get to the final. and so. But a moment in time that it was just reserved specially for me and I don't know why, um, but of everything that's ever happened in my life, I've shared all my moments but that moment was reserved solely for me, and it's like it lives as if it was yesterday. Incredible. I'm going to look at that on YouTube now, that, that goal again, and yeah, see if yeah. you will see yeah. the uh, contact lens. Yeah, see if you can see it yeah. floating yeah. to the floor. Floating down, that's amazing. I mean, the final has been talked about a lot, but I think whether you were there or not, or too young, that particular team for the final was absolutely decimated with injuries. It was unbelievable, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I, I mean, when you talk... To people, they think, well, yeah, you should win the UEFA Cup. Yeah. Glenn Hoddle, Ozzy Ardila, yeah. Steve Perryman, Ray Clements, Goff Crook. Oh, what a team. Should... None of them played. Ozzy was sub. Gary Mabbott was injured. Had to start. So it was a toss-up between Ozzy and Glenn. Eh, sorry, Ozzy and Gary. Gary could last about 60 minutes. Um, and Ozzy could last about 25. <coughs> so Gary had to play. So we had virtually a youth team out. We had, from my, from my youth team, or, or players that had come through the youth system, we had Roberts Miller, Uton, um, myself, uh, Mark Falcor, Ali Dick. Ali Dick. Ali Dick. Uh, Tony Galvin, sort of, because we signed him for about 3,000. Um, so we had almost a youth team players that had came through. And, and you know what? This is what I talk to you about when I say, uh, when you've came through a system at a football club, it gives you a, a knowledge of the, the traditions and the philosophies and, and, and everything like that. And, and when you have a group of players like seven, eight, nine of yours coming into this team to play in a UEFA Cup final and all your stars are sitting on the side of the pitch, you have to have a togetherness like never before. You have to stand up and say, right, we've lots of, we have to stand up and be counted and we have to say, right... If we're going to do this, we're going to do it together. We cannot, we cannot win this if we're not in it together. Because we were playing a great side. And they had Enzo Schifor, who was one of the best, best footballers in the world at the time. And we had to be together. Uh, but we'd spent so many years together playing in the, in the juniors, in the youth team, in the reserves, and then in the first team, that it just came natural. We didn't have to think about it. We were there pulling the same way, fighting the same fight. Um, and of course, we had Rob War, Captain Rob War, who who led by example. You know, never say die, and 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 obviously got the goal that eventually took us to penalties. So it was an amazing achievement with such a young side, but also such an inexperienced side. You know, when people say you win nothing with kids, trust me, we 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 conquered Europe with kids that night. Absolutely, it was amazing. You mentioned before. Um, Keith left after that season. Peter Shreve just talked about took over, and then we finished third that that season. Yeah. And again, came very close to the title. I think again, many amazing about players. We talked about earlier about bringing players, and I think that season it was, it was Paul Allen came in, yeah, and John Chadozy. I mean, John Chadozy. No, 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 that was not eighty three. Was it John Chadozy? No, the came following, in. yeah, the following season when they Paul, first came Paul in. Paul Allen, yeah, yeah. Um, the pivotal game from my memory was that Everton, Everton game, game at in at the lane. Was it April? We lost two one. Yeah. We're both going for the league then. Yeah, yeah. When that Neville was a tremendous had a yeah. stormer. Yeah, she saved, saved from everything Falco. that yeah. he. And, and then in the last minute, the, the save from Falco. Yeah, unbelievable. Um, yeah, no, it was a great season. Should have won the league. Um, 
In fact, I have to say that, you know, in, in the, from 80 to 85, I really felt there was three occasions where I should have walked away with a league title, three seasons. We were that good a team. You know, and, and no doubt the '87 team, which was a sensational team, should have felt the same because they should have won the they should have won everything that they were. They were so far ahead. So, um, but the, the, the Merseyside cost us dear. So yeah, mm. let's smash them on Saturday. Yeah. Get, <laughs> get some revenge. Absolutely. Um, we've had a long line of players on the stage lament the way they were treated by the club at the end um, when their times come to the end for whatever reason. In fact, I can't think of one ex-player that talks about it was a mutual thing or whatever it, it always seems to be really badly handled by the club and we've spoken to you know Jimmy Greaves about it Graham Ro- I mean so many you also were, were treated that, that, by that particular regime yeah. quite badly no, I mean, I think, I, I, about I, I, how look, you let go I think that you have to be realistic you know we, uh, football club treat you bad I, I, see I'm, I've always I've been and always will be of the belief that football clubs are great for individuals and individuals are great for football clubs. And not the, fo- the football club doesn't owe me anything and I don't owe them anything. And if you go in with that motto, then you're not going to find yourself being hurt by anything that they do. No matter how much you love the club. I mean, for instance, in 80, I think it was 85, we played Newcastle on the Saturday against uh, White Otley and we win 5-1, I score a goal. Um, celebrating in the players' lounge and uh, gets not uh, Peter Shreves pops his head round and says, "Mickey, can I have a word?" Yeah, no problem. Um, so I met, I, I walk out and, and meet Pete, and Pete says, "Look, Mickey, I'm sorry to tell you, it's not my decision, but the club have accepted a record bid from Chelsea for you, um, and they've set up a meeting for you with John Hollands, the Chelsea manager, on Monday." I was incredibly shocked because I'd known nothing but Spurs. I'd been at Spurs from the age of 12 and, and, and I'd never played any other way. I'd never played under any other manager or with any other players. So it was quite, for me, I was a relatively shy boy um, as a youngster. Um, so the thought of moving somewhere else sort of quite made me a bit nervous. I didn't want to go. And uh, so I go back into the um, the players' lounge and, and, and I get my family and let's go and I drive down Tottenham High Road fuming I cannot believe that this, I'd just been picked for the full England team as well which made it even worse um, so my I was angry uh, lots of sort of bad thoughts running through my mind um, I'm still angry on the Sunday I'm still angry on the Monday and I've got this meeting with John Hollands and I go to I drive to meet John Hollands and my only thought is, bollocks, I'm not leaving, I'm not leaving, I'm so angry, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not letting them push me out. Um, so John says, right, we've agreed a record fee, we want to build the club around you, we want to, because I'd scored a great goal at Ivory when I took the piss out of John Hollands, um, and he, he remembered this for some reason, um, and then said, um, look, we, you know, we want to build the team around you, we're prepared to give you a £400 a week rise, we'll give you a a, a new sponsored car or a new car uh, will pay for your removal. I, honestly, I wasn't hardly listening. I didn't give a shit. I was not interested in moving because it was the only club I'd known. Um, and even just for shyness, I didn't want to move. Um, and then he and then he said, so I wasn't flinching with nothing he said. 
I was still sort of fuming with Spurs, really. With Irving, I suppose. And then, um, then he said, and if you write your name on this contract today, before we leave here, we'll put £100,000 in your bank account tomorrow. <laughs> oh, where do I sign, John? <laughs> you know? Wow. So, someone who... Old Tottenham Hotspur Football Club and, and, and who, nothing, who knew nothing but Tottenham Hotspur Football Club in my professional life. So even someone who loved this club like, like you love this club, suddenly he's, I put this £100,000 in your bank and it's, oh, changed my mood completely. <laughs> so anyway, I signed before we left the hotel like a, like a dickhead, like a dickhead does. Next morning I'm... The train at a place called Arlington beside Heathrow. And um, I live in Edmonton. So around the North Cirque to Heathrow, I thought, God, how long is it going to take me to get there? We're training at half ten. So I thought, oh, I, bet I left at six o'clock. I thought, oh, I better get there on time. So I left at six o'clock. I got there for quarter to seven. <laughs> I'm sitting in Arlington training ground at quarter to seven. There's not a soul in sight. And I'm sitting there thinking, what the fuck have I done? What have I done? Anyway, it's quarter to seven. Half ten arrives, I'm still in my car. The boys, we start training. Our boys are out on the pitch warming up. I'm still in my car. I've made a big mistake. And suddenly I've calmed down from my anger of what's happened. And, and now I realise just exactly what I've done. But I can't turn... How do I turn the clock back? I don't want the underground. I don't want it. Have it back. And that moment, I swore then never ever to make money um, a priority in anything that I ever do in my life um, because it always ends up not being the way you want it to be. Um, and I remember it really well because I fucking hated it at Chelsea. <laughs> and the fans absolutely, they absolutely, listen, the fan, Chelsea fans, they idolised me. I, for, for to leave Tottenham Hotspur and join Chelsea, enemies, and to have the fans love you, it says you must have did something right. If I wasn't in the team, they would sing my name from the first whistle to the last until I was in the team. You know, they'd never stop. They loved me. So with the fans, I have nothing but respect for them. But the club itself, it just didn't fit with me at all. I had nothing in common with it. There was no, um, no chemistry, no nothing. And the chairman was an absolute arse. Um, I didn't like him one bit. Turned me over in my deal as well. Um, so, four weeks later, four weeks, Shrevesy tries to re-sign me. Really? Four weeks wow. later, I'm like this. Please. Please. Um, and Chelsea wouldn't let me go. Four poxy weeks. Why did you sell me in the first place? Mind you, he did try to sign me for 50 grand. <laughs> you know, they were trying to get me back on the cheap. Um, and, and during the course of the four or five years, I can't remember what I had there, um, Shrevesy tried to sign me back, or Spurs tried to sign me back four or five, four or five times. Um, and it just never happened. What was it like playing against Spurs? When, when you, the first time, you're now in a Chelsea shirt. Uh, I, I don't know. You 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 look watch players play here, yeah? and and no doubt before every game you watch them go out and and warm up and do things. And you know I used to go and watch Glenn Oddle warm up and used to uh, just marvel at whatever he could do with the ball. So fans would do the same. And so we were playing 
Spurs and the previous week we'd played the reserves. I'd been injured, I'd come back from an injury. I was playing against Spurs reserves at Stamford Bridge. We got a penalty and Tony Parks was in goal and um, he saved my penalty. So now we're back at White Hart Lane. I'm sitting in the dressing room before the game. Every single member of my team's gone out for a warm-up and I can't. I don't, I don't even leave my seat. I just sit there and all I can think of is, what the fuck am I doing in this dressing room? What am I doing? Anyway, I go out onto the pitch and whoever decided and whoever writes your scripts, I got two goals and I got a penalty. And Ray Clemens was in goal. And no doubt they knew exactly where I put my penalty the previous week, where Tony had saved. And I thought to myself, I know he thinks I'm going to change it because I normally put it to the other side anyway. So I know he thinks I'm going to change it because I missed. And I just put it to the same. And I got two goals, right? We won 3-1. Chelsea won 3-1, beat Spurs 3-1. I was interviewed on every radio station and TV after the game. And the obvious question is, how does it feel, as you've just asked, to go back to your previous club, the club that the only club you've ever known, how does it feel to go back and score two goals against them? Now, I'm live on radio, right? I've got all these Chelsea fans singing my name like... And I say, to be honest with you, it felt like I scored two own goals. Wow. Can you imagine how that would feel to a Chelsea fan? Imagine if a Spurs player went back to Chelsea and said, I felt like I was, when scored two for Spurs and said, I felt like I was scoring an own goal. I said it live on radio. Can you imagine how them Chelsea fans must have felt? But it was how I felt. And, I, you know, I, I cannot, I couldn't, I couldn't lie just because I'd scored two goals. Um, and that doesn't mean I didn't enjoy the two goals. It was, you know, they were all talking about proving a point. They shouldn't have sold you, blah, 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 blah. I know they shouldn't have sold me. There was nobody closer to Glen Oddle than me. And Glen Oddle, in some point, was going to move abroad. And you had the perfect ready-made player to step in and fill in his footsteps. Absolutely. So um, there was no reason whatsoever to sell me. But the club, in fairness to the club, um, and I don't agree with that, um, they, they, they did me wrong. They didn't. They made a business decision. They were in financial um, a, a cash flow problem at the time. Uh, and I was part of the solution to their cash flow problem. It wasn't... Um, was the transfer fee? I can't remember. 350000 It was a Chelsea record fee no. that they'd ever paid. So going by today's reckoning, they signed that Liverpool player, what's his name? Torres for 50 million. So I'd probably be worth about 50 million <laughs> in today's market. <laughs> but no, you know, as I said, I, I, I think that... Um, it's misplaced if you think that the club have treated you bad because they've sold you or, or even how they've sold you. I disagree. I don't think the club... But, but at the time? No, not even at the time. Really? No, you, you're filled with anger, but, but it's, it's business. Mm. Uh, and ultimately, whatever business a club does, they do it for what they believe is in the best interests of the football club. I don't think any chairman of any football club because it's not in his interest to get the decisions wrong because you know you devalue your club or you devalue your team or whatever it's not in their interests either so that when they make decisions they make them based on what they truly believe is right for the club and that doesn't mean that it is mm. but I, I, I'm 100% believe that they genuinely believe that it is but you did end up back at Spurs Thankfully. 93 
three under Ardiles, which I must admit is a sort of ear of Spurs that is blurred in my mind because generally it wasn't I very remember good it like it was that era. So I can't. I, I've very little recollection of what the story was and how that came about. Yeah, I mean, I played for Aussie at Swindon mm. in in probably a Spurs-like team. We played football like Spurs. It was beautiful to play in. Um, and it was almost like a, a poor man Spurs, but it, by the same token, it was it was great for me to play in a footballing side, um, and and Aussie being one of my heroes as well, um, and he tapped me up in the summer um, that he was going to come in for me. So of course uh, we'd got one promotion to the Premier League that year, and um, the first couple of months at Swindon was very difficult because I knew I was moving to Spurs. Um, so I had to play in such a way that I could get out of my contract. Right. Um, and then I go back to Spurs, um, and I've got to say, and, and I know that you all remember the Ardiles era with um, sadness. I, I remember it with sadness because I genuinely believe that, unfortunately at that time, the club was a very political place to be. I'd came back into what I would call the... It was sugar, wasn't it? Yeah, the, there was the, the, the war between... The, Oz, five. Yeah. the yeah. war between the, the sugar and the sugar venables left a lot of um, poisoned, mm. I, dare I say it, players, players who sided with venables against sugar. Mm. Sugar then obviously uh, brought in Aussie, who was a fan zero, and, and was brought in to probably appease the fans too, because um, they were never going to slag down one of their former heroes. Uh, and, and I felt that was the sad bit about it because Ozzy was geared for Tottenham. He was built for Tottenham Hotspur Football Club and the style that he preached and played. Um, and somewhere down the line, um, the, the politics that surrounded the club in that era sort of spread onto the pitch. Uh, and if you think about that squad of players, it was an incredible squad of players. It was two players away from winning the title. You know, two Klinsman, Sheringham. I mean, tell me two better forwards at that time, Klinsman and Sheringham. Barmby just off them. Then you had Dermotrescu, who just played in the semi-final of the World Cup. You had Pepet, Darren Anderton on the right. You had Popescu. I mean, it was an unbelievable squad of players. Uh, unfortunately for Aussie, not just for Aussie, for any manager, when you build in a team and uh, can often fall in your lap, as certain things did with Keith. When you build a team, you cannot... When a player like Jürgen Klinsmann becomes available, do you say, well, no, because I'm building from the back? No, you have to go and get Jürgen Klinsmann. And he might cost all of that year's spending to bring him in, um, which means that you've brought in a top, 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 top World Cup winner, top draw footballer, but you've had to neglect building from the back a bit mm. because he might not ever be available again so sometimes you're dictated to by the circumstances at the time um, I'm sure Aussie would love to have built a solid foundation to allow you know, imagine if we'd had Richard Goff mm. Gary Mabbott um, Steve Perryman and Chris Uton as your back four imagine then having Dermotrescu, Anderton, Barmby, Sheringham, Klinsman with a back four like that it would have been league winners full stop but sometimes you can't build from the back when you and miss out on a Jürgen Klinsmann you have to go for Klinsmann to get him and, and, and I'm convinced that if if Ozzy had not got the sack the following season he would have been building a back four capable of supplementing 
the attacking flair that we had. But it was, I've got to say, it was one of the most exciting times. I mean, when we went to Sheffield Wednesday, you know, and we won 4-3, yeah, and Klinsman's running away like this and we all know what he's doing and we're all running after him and we all know the dive's coming we're all waiting for it I mean oh wow the excitement I, 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 I used to go into I, would wake, I woke up every morning in my life during that spell and I woke up and I could not wait to get into training now that didn't always happen. Under Jerry Francis, I used to think, oh, please, let me have the day, let me have the day off. It's the most boring, boring... So, so did we. Yeah. I <laughs> uh, used to do my head in training. I used to crack up. But with Aussie's training, I, I spoke with Teddy not long ago at a, at a function, and he said to me, you're right. He said, I used to love waking up and going into training. I used to look forward to it every day with Aussie. It was. It was brilliant. It was ball, 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 and more ball. Everything was exciting. Everything was football. Everything was improving and developing your skills. I woke up and I couldn't wait to get into football, uh, to training. It was a magical time. Unfortunately, it didn't reflect on the pitch. Suddenly, the politics reared its ugly head. Suddenly... um, the conflict between Sugar and Venables was ongoing uh, and, and it, it carried itself over onto the pitch, sadly. It was, but it was an incredibly exciting time. It was nice, the fact that, you know, you'd, you'd been scattered with Spurs, age 11, 12. It ended up then, 93, back at Spurs with wonderful tackles. Back team. home. Exactly. What, uh, well, I mean, you only sort of touched on it, but in that sort of, Distance and obviously now, you know, you know, you 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 work at the club and you're an ambassador and you're. What what's, what's the club mean to you? What's the Tottenham Hotspur mean to you? Oh, it's an incredibly tough question because I know I'll probably get emotional when I'm saying it. But I, I, if I can choose a way of, um, without talking about myself and my feelings for the club and what it means, um, you know. My sons both trialled at Spurs and both played at Spurs till they were 16. And they both have season tickets. They're both fanatical Spurs supporters. Um, my grandchildren have already been to their first and second and third games. Um, and I've just had my latest grandchild, Arthur, about three weeks ago. Um, and no doubt, not long before he goes to his first Spurs game. So I think that the best way I can describe what Tottenham Hotspur Football Club means to me is that my children and my children's children and generation of gener- after generation of, of hazards will support Tottenham Hotspur Football Club because that's the only club in the world for me. Um, you know, and yeah, fine. It, it, might, it might sound what... Um, what's the word? These guys out there you guys, you support this football club. You know exactly what I'm talking about because it's, a football club isn't part just to somewhere to go on a Saturday and watch. It's your life. And, you know, I've lived my life and my missus, she stands there and she says to me, anything you do with Spurs when we're having a row? If it's Spurs, you'll do anything. Anything. She said, but if I ask you to take me to the pub, you won't take me. But if it's Spurs, you'll be straight there in a shot. Is that true? <laughs> And she slaughters me for it, you know. But listen, it is what it is. It, 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 it gets you there uh, and it stays with you forevermore. Um, I, I, I love my life. I love everything about my life. And I love Tottenham Hotspur Football Club like it's my son. 
Um, that doesn't mean that I'd choose it over my son. No, I wouldn't. But that's how, what it means to me. And, and, and the best way is my, my children and children's children will be forever Spurs. Yes, Ladies and gentlemen, it's been a wonderful evening. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Mickey Hazard. This is a playback media production. Get all the associated links for this podcast at spurshow.net. The Spurs Show is backed for the season by Ladbrooks. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.